that uh, lovely little demonstration with our friends Happy Melon and Sad Melon teaches us a lesson uh, that is maybe very obvious, but doesn't often get said. We wear helmets when we expect that something might hit us in the head, right? I know, this is, this is earth-shaking, man. You guys are going to go home and tell all your friends about this, right? Football players, construction workers, motorsports, Olympic boxing, but for some reason not professional boxing. All these people wear helmets because they walk around with the expectation that along the way they are going to get hit in the head. And getting hit in the head hurts. And it causes all kinds of trauma. And so we wear them as protection, right? Again, this is earth-shattering. I know this. But I want you to, to get that in your mind and have that picture and that reality there because the Apostle Paul, in this letter to the Ephesians, as we continue to walk through the equipment that God gives to us to become the people that he's made us to be, one of those pieces of equipment that Paul brings out is putting on the helmet of salvation. And I want to suggest to you that Paul puts salvation and helmet together with a very specific intention. The apostle Paul knows very well, something that the church has known as well for a very long time, that in the activity of life, as we go about our days, things come around that hit us in the head. Paul says that life as we live it is in a combat zone. That there are forces of evil constantly waging war on us. I mean, if they crucified Christ, Paul says, should we expect any differently from the powers of darkness that are at work in the world around us? Paul seems to be under the impression that life is a constant give and take, a constant struggle between the light of God and the powers of darkness. And we need to be armed for that battle. The funny thing about it is, most of the time when we go to church, when we talk with our Christian friends, when we're hanging out and having Bible study, that's not the stuff that we talk about. Most of the time, when we go to church and we're hanging out and we're singing songs and we're doing Bible study, we talk about, right, how's things going? Oh, you know, uh, things are good, going great. God is good. You know, I'm blessed. Um, You know, I was reading the Bible today and I, I just really took this promise to heart. And that's awesome, right? That's great. Right, we come in and we sing songs like, Oh, happy day, how he washed my sins away. And some of us are right there, man. I mean, we're singing. We're in it. Yes, it's a good day. God is good. But if we're honest, man, some of us aren't there. I mean, some of us, we're singing songs like, oh, happy day, and everybody around us is like, oh, happy day. I know that's why I'm not on the music team, okay? (laughs) But you're looking over at them, and you're like, where's mine at, you know? Where's my happy day? Sometimes there's a real disconnect between the words that we often use to express what we're supposed to feel, the way we're supposed to talk as Christians, the way we're supposed to talk in church, the words we're supposed to use about life being good and happy and all is well. 
I mean, we're saved, right? Everything's supposed to be good. But, but man, what's going on inside of us? Sometimes there's a real disconnect, right? And I don't think I'm just talking to, to myself on this. Paul says that as people, we walk in a battlefield. And sometimes, when we're in that space, man, some of us are experiencing victory, right? God is good. He has given us salvation, and we're living in that today. But man, others of us are wounded, and we're hurt. And it's really hard for us to, to give expression to those words. Sometimes we don't, we don't have enough space to give expression to those words in, in worship and in Bible studies and in stuff like that. But the fact is, what Paul knows, what the church has known for a very long time, and what the scriptures bring out for us, is that sometimes in life, we get hit in the head. That's why we need a helmet of salvation. We need something to protect us in those moments when life is smacking us in the head. In worship, when we do it well, in Bible studies, when we do it well, in friendships, when we're doing it well, we're able to give expression both to those victories that God is winning for us, but also those struggles that we find ourselves in. The reality of the pain. The reality of those moments when we feel like maybe God just kind of forgot about us. The uh, disconnect between the uh, actual words that we often give expression to in, in worship and in Bible studies and in friendships. The disconnect between those words and the reality of what's going on inside came to life for me in a very significant way when I was a senior in college. I was uh, finishing up. I was just getting done. It was September, three weeks into the semester. Life is humming along. I'm getting into the rhythm and the groove, right? And I've done this before, so it's not new. I'm dating this really cute girl who I think I'm going to ask to marry me. She said yes eventually, but that didn't happen for a while, right? And I'm uh, an intern in the campus ministry at Central Michigan University, and as life is just kind of humming along, I, f- I get a call at 4 a.m. in the morning. And on the other end of the line is my dad. And his voice is quivering. I never heard my father cry in my entire life. I'm not saying that that's good and right. I'm just saying it because it is. And I hear his voice quivering. And my dad says to me, Scott, are you, uh, are you awake? Well, yeah, I'm awake. You called me at 4 o'clock in the morning. Are you, are you awake, though? Do you, can you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, tell me what's going on. Your mom died this morning. And in a moment... My entire life changed. See, I grew up in a um, very anti-religious home. And uh, my mom, 
who, was, uh, who grew up in a um, practicing Catholic uh, family, but who had a father who was uh, an alcoholic, abusive, um, but made her and her nine siblings go to Catholic schools uh, for their entire education, uh, said on the day that she graduated from high school, I will never go to church again. And she didn't. Until the day that I was baptized as a teenager. She never went to church again. And she did it begrudgingly that day. She hated church. She hated that I was a Christian. For 30 years, my mom lived her life on her own terms. Not really being concerned about God or what God thought. Maybe even particularly not being concerned with what God thought. And so there's a, real tr- there's a real problem with that for me. And one of the ways that the devil abused me in those days following her death was with this thought. I will never see my mother again. I mean, she lived her life in rebellion against God. What happens to folks who live in rebellion against God? That thought was devastating. It felt like God had ignored all of those prayers that I had prayed for her. It felt like God had forgotten about me and about her. And in worse moments, that maybe he just didn't care. That's why, friends, we need to be wearing a helmet of salvation. Because there are times in life when we get hit in the head. And worship, when we do it well, Bible study, when we do it well, we're able to give voice to both the great victories that God is winning for us, but also to the pain that we experience when life hits us in the head. That in fact, on the battlefield of life, some of us are experiencing victory in Jesus, while others of us are deeply wounded. This is why we come to these places. We come to remember to remember that even when we feel forgotten, that we have a God that doesn't forget. To remember that when darkness seems to surround our lives, we have a God who shines light in dark places. To put on the helmet of salvation is to put on an unbreakable hope that we have a God who is mighty to save. And who does not forget. Psalm 27 is a uh, beautiful poetic psalm. That actually gives voice and shape to this helmet of salvation. This unbreakable hope in a God who saves. The hope of the Apostle Paul. Of the church 
for generations and the hope for me and the hope for you when we find ourselves being hit in the head by life. This is salvation. Not just from sin, death, salvation that's going to be in the future, but salvation that is now for this life, for today. In Christ, you are freed from the devil's schemes, not just sometime in the future, today. And Psalm 27 puts voice to this in an incredible way. So if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to it. And if you don't, I'm going to read it. The psalmist writes that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour my flesh, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. And then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. For my heart says, seek your face. And so your face, Lord, I will seek. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Don't reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. For though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in straight paths because of my oppressors. Don't turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. But I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's an incredibly bold statement, isn't it? When it says, we don't put our hope in anything else. There is one who holds our salvation in his hand, and it is that one to whom we give our hope and our cries. That's what Psalm 1 starts with. The Lord alone is my hope and my salvation. And then it goes on to describe what that salvation looks like. For when the wicked advanced against me to devour my flesh... It is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and flaw. Do you see how the psalmist anticipates a battle? Something's coming in his life. Something's going to happen. But he also anticipates God's salvation. And his posture is a posture of confidence. From the outset, he says that his salvation is from God, that he trusts him to come through even in the face 
of overwhelming circumstances. That's unbreakable hope that gets expressed in these words from Psalm 27. Though my enemies, though an army come against me, the Lord will deliver me. And then in verses 4 through 6, we find that these aren't just words from one person, that they're actually words expressed within the community of faith. The psalmist longs to dwell in God's temple. He says he will sing and offer sacrifices of praise in the tent of the Lord. That's the place of worship. We don't wear this helmet of of salvation independently, right? Our salvation of the Lord is something that is deeply personal, but it's not private. This is expressed in a public space that God is our deliverer. We will sing and make music to him and we will make our pleas for salvation to him. That's why in worship we need these stories from each other. I need to hear where God's delivering you guys. And you need to hear how God delivers me. Because that builds us up. But we also need to hear where each other is struggling, where we need salvation to come so that we can celebrate and so that we can pray about God's deliverance. It's within that context of worship and with this expression of unbreakable hope that the psalmist now turns to the heart of the matter for him. This isn't just a psalm about what God has done in the past. There's a real issue in his life right now that he needs deliverance from. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. Don't reject me or forsake me, God my Savior, but lead me in straight paths because of my oppressors. Don't turn me over to the desire of my foes. Do you hear that? Do you hear the tension in that? This hasn't been solved yet. This is still going on. Those of you that are feeling that this morning, that are feeling that tension within, within you, between the shouts of praise that happen and, and the, the deep concern that's inside of you, you're not alone. The psalmist knows that tension, and he brings it to us so that we can embrace both. He knows what it's like to have life hit him in the head. He's going through it, and he brings it to God. I would encourage you, if that's where you're at right now, to pray that prayer with the psalmist. Don't forget about me, God, my Savior. Don't forsake me. You've been my helper. I know you've done it. You've done it. I know you can do it. But right now, I can't find you. If that's where you are, the psalmist wants you to know he's with you. And you can pray this prayer too. It means that within the context of worship before God, we don't have to be phony about where we are and act like all is well when all is not well. We can bring what's real into the presence of God. It also means we can bring what's real into the presence of each other, right? That we don't have to be phony with each other. I mean, guys, this is our book, right? This is 
our prayer. Jesus is our Savior. Together we put on the helmet of salvation. And we have this freedom to approach God with both boldness and quivering when life is beating us up. Which is why the psalmist, in the face of all that's going on in his life and all the uncertainty about the future, is able to resolve this poem and this prayer with these incredible words. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. Not just sometime in heaven. In the land of the living. So his final words to himself and to us as readers and to every soldier putting on the helmet of salvation. Be strong. Take heart. And watch closely. For the Lord. The, the Hebrew word that gets used there, wait, is maybe a little better translated in this particular space to watch closely. It's not this. Wait. No, it's wait. It's coming. It's coming soon. It's anticipation. Watch closely. I'll tell you, I know for me, that um, when my mom died, I didn't know where else to go with my anger and my pain and my distress but to the Lord and to the people that loved me and the campus ministry that I was a part of. I didn't know how to kind of rein it back in. It just kind of would out of me. I was so brutally wounded in those days What I discovered, though, is what Paul knows, what the psalmist knows, and what the church for generations has known, and occasionally we forget sometimes, is that when we come to God wearing dented, battered, but unbreakable helmets of salvation on our heads, we find that our God is mighty to save. You see, in the days following my mother's death, uh, I had lots of conversations about her last days. It was sudden, unexpected. Lots of conversations about her last days. And one of those conversations that I had was with my aunt, who was the first person to uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ in, um, in my immediate family, and the one who introduced me to the Christ, and uh, which eventually led to me becoming a follower of Jesus. And she told me this story. She told me that two days before my mother's death, my mom called her completely out of the blue and asked, what's all this stuff that you and Scott talk about, about being saved and Jesus living in you and all this nonsense? And so my aunt was able to share the gospel with my mother. 
She had rejected God for 30 years. Lived her life as if she had forgotten all about God. What's amazing is this. God did not forget my mother. And he didn't forget me. And so with the psalmist, I tell you, he has not forgotten about you. I am confident of this. We will see the salvation of our God in the land of the living. Watch closely. Be strong. Take heart. Watch closely for the salvation of our God. Let's pray together. God, there are among your people dwelling in this space this morning, those who come ripe for worship. And those whose hearts are just pounding inside of their chest and they, they hear a message like this one and they say, I'm just not there right now. I don't, like, what's going on? What's wrong? I, I'm, I'm ready to sing some more. And I thank you for those folks. God, I thank you for the grace in, that is in their lives right now and for the joy that is in them. And I pray that their joy would spill over onto the rest of us. May it be those who give testimony to your deliverance recently in their lives and say, God is our salvation. He is our rock and our fortress. Who shall we fear? But there are others of us, God, who are just on the brink and wondering, God, have you forgotten? Where are you? And we pray for them as well. We pray that the dented and battered helmets of salvation that they wear on their head would uphold that unbreakable hope that you are near, that you have not forgotten. And then we pray that it would be true, what's true of Psalm 27 would be true for us, that we would see your deliverance in the land of the living. While we look with anticipation for your second coming in glory, we look for today, our daily bread, for your deliverance now, and we ask for it. And we pray, God, help us to live together in this space, in this space where some of us are shouting victory and others of us are just groaning with wounds help us to live in this space together to carry each other's burdens the way you instruct us to to rejoice with those who rejoice but to mourn with those who mourn we are your people we are gathered here for you and we declare you are our light in our salvation so we are confident of this we will see your salvation in the land of the living. So we are watching closely. We are watching closely for your salvation, O oh God. Hear this prayer and the prayers of all of these here as they lift up prayers from their hearts. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.